great song taken straight from Scripture, book of Philippians. Paul makes that astounding statement, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If you've got your Bibles this morning, would you open them to the Gospel of Luke with me this morning? We are in Luke chapter 9. We come to the conclusion of Luke chapter 9, actually. While you're finding that, I want to just share some statistics with you. I know statistics, I mean, that's an incredibly boring thing, right? Well, I'm, I'm hoping that the statistics I share with you this morning will be a little bit jarring for us, perhaps. Every, every quarter, Lifeway Resources, Lifeway is where we get our Sunday school material from, the publishing arm of the Southern Baptist Convention. Lifeway Resources publishes a magazine called Facts and Trends. Facts and Trends, it's, it's designed to be used by churches to help them get, um, get an understanding, put their finger on the pulse of where American culture and where the church is today so that, that we're able to understand where people are and where our churches are in order to better be equipped to meet this culture with the gospel of Christ and the claims of Jesus. The most recent one that, that came out for the summer months had, uh, had these startling conclusions. We're talking here about American churchgoers. 51% of American churchgoers say they have never heard of the Great Commission. Over half. 25% of American churchgoers say... I've heard of the Great Commission, but I can't recall what it is. Now, in, in addition to that, the research went on that said 66% of American churchgoers, two-thirds of our American churchgoers say many religions can lead to eternal life. I hope that's startling. I'm kind of concerned that it may not be startling. To my knowledge, they didn't call and ask any Boone Trail members these questions because you, you would have known just by way of reminder, remember the Great Commission, the final words of Jesus to his followers in Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, he says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. That's the Great Commission. Those are the marching orders of Jesus to His church. This is why we are here as a church. We exist to fulfill the Great Commission. It is our purpose statement. We are here to make disciples. Jesus said, go, make disciples of all nations. What does that look like? You win them to faith in Christ, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. I think that part of the reason that more than half of American churchgoers are not familiar with the Great Commission is because there has been a failure to do just that. We have not taught what it means to follow Christ. And of course, you'll recall, Jesus made this statement in John chapter 14, verse 6. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So when the question is asked, are there many different ways that you can get to heaven? No. There is Jesus. That is the only way that you will get to heaven, the only way that you will be made right with God. Yes, it is a true statement that all religions lead to God. It is absolutely true. Regardless of your religious belief, you will one day stand before God. In Christ you will stand forgiven and redeemed. In any other way you will stand under His judgment and under His wrath. Again, the reason that we deal with statistics of this nature is because we have failed to make disciples. And yet that is the purpose that Jesus has given to us. 
How have we missed it so terribly within the church in America that we have these common beliefs and misunderstandings as to what it means to be a follower of Christ and what it means to do what Jesus tells us? I believe with all of my heart that the problem is that we have done such a poor job at making disciples of Jesus Christ. Discipleship. It's, it's a theme that, that we have talked about throughout our tenure and history together here at Boone Trail. To be disciples who make disciples. And to that end, I want to share with you some exciting things this morning. We're going to get to our text. Just hold on for just a moment because we springboard into the text from this. First thing that I want to share with you, because we want to be a solution to the problem. As they say, you can curse the darkness or you can light a candle. Well, we want to light several hundred candles in Johnson City through Boone Trail Baptist Church to combat this problem of not making disciples. And so in September, we're having a, a training event here called Replicate. Middle of September, it's going to be September 14th, 15th, and 16th, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. I hope that all of you will sign up to be a part of this because within this training, we're going to learn how to be disciples that make disciples. Very practical, very hands-on, very intentional about the training to receive in order to be disciples who make disciples, to be intentional about fulfilling the great commission of Jesus Christ. With that in mind, as we looked forward to and prayed through these and other things. We come into Luke chapter 9, verse 57, and gives us an automatic springboard that this is something that is so important to us as a church that over the next several weeks leading up to this training in September, we're going to spend time every Sunday morning talking about what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. What does it look like? What does it look like to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? What does it look like if we are truly going to follow Him? Perfect timing. Perfect springboard given where we are at the end of Luke's Gospel, chapter 9. Because what has so often happened, especially with an American Christianity, is we have dumbed down the message of Christ to make it more palatable to people and to make it less demanding. No, Jesus never did that. In fact, Jesus made it less palatable and more demanding. The exact opposite of what we have a tendency to do Jesus upped the ante. Jesus increased the expectations. Jesus wanted people to know exactly what they were getting into if they chose to align themselves with Him. And already in Luke's Gospel, in this very chapter, in Luke chapter 9, we have seen Jesus do this. Back in verse 21 and 22, Jesus, we read, strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying, get this, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. Jesus made it abundantly clear, you link up with me and I am going to die. I'm going to be rejected. I'm going to be put down. I am going to lay down my life. I'm going to face death. Now, if that's going to happen to the leader, what do you think is going to happen to his followers? Just down the very next verse in Luke chapter 9, verse 23. The next verse after Jesus says this, he tells the disciples, this is what it means to me. This is what it means to you. And he said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Wow. Have you ever shared the gospel with somebody and told them that? Hey, listen. If you're going to follow Jesus, 
He demands that you are going to take up your cross every day. You have to deny yourself in order to follow Him. No, usually what we do is, well, would you like to receive Jesus? Will you just pray this prayer this morning? What are we missing, church? We're missing the demands that Jesus makes upon his followers. He comes on down into verse 44, and he says the same thing that he did in verse 21 and 22. He says, let these words sink into your ears. The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of man. Understand this. I'm going to die. What's going to happen to them? See, the demands of being a follower of Jesus are great. They're monumental. In case, in case we have a tendency to doubt that, let's look at our passage in Luke chapter 9, verse 57. As they were going along the road, this is Jesus and all of those who are traveling with him to see everything that he's done. He's been healing the sick, he's raised the dead, he's been doing all sorts of miracles, he's been teaching, and a great crowd of people was following with him. And as they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus said to him, foxes have holes. Birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another, Jesus said, follow me. But he said, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord. But first let me say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Wow. Seriously, Jesus? What, what are you doing here? Three times with three different men, the word follow is used to describe what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. I, I like that word. Not, not just because it's a biblical word, it is, but I like that word because follow implies action and direction. Follow doesn't mean simply sitting there and soaking it in. Follow means doing. If you're following someone, you're walking in their direction with them. It's a dual emphasis here. Jesus said, follow me. Me. And then he turns it around, we turn it around, follow me. Emphasizing both of them, a dual emphasis within this. We, we are following a person who is on a path. We're following a man who has a mission. There is sweetness within the following, but there is suffering that comes with it as well. There are three men in an encounter with Jesus. To us, these would be the hot prospects. We've got some live ones here now. This guy comes along and he says, I'll follow you wherever you go. Let's latch on to that one. We've got a good one here. New member of our church right here. Don't let these get away. Let's sign them up. And Jesus doesn't do that. In Matthew's account, he gives us a little more detail about who these men were, but very little. We're just told that this first guy was a scribe. Luke, Luke doesn't focus upon who these men are. Luke simply wants us to concentrate on what is being said rather than who says it. So we put ourselves into this. And these three conversations are all on the very same subject, the subject being the cost of following Jesus. The cost of following Jesus boils down to how important you think Jesus is. How important is Jesus to you? How significant is Jesus to you? This is the ultimate question of discipleship. The focus is not on what you have to give up. The focus is on how important Jesus is. There's a cost 
There's a cost that has to be calculated in following Jesus. Here Jesus was teaching, and at the same time he was testing. He shows us, first of all, that following Jesus comes at the expense of personal comfort. Look, look at the first one again, verse 57. This guy comes up, he says, I'll follow you wherever you go. That's, that's a noble thing. Perhaps he's seen the miracles, perhaps he's heard the teaching, he's been caught up in everything that's going on. And in this moment of emotion, he comes along and he says, Jesus, I'll follow you wherever you go. I love what you're doing here. This is exciting. This is, this is enthralling. I love this. Jesus says, hey, wait a minute. You need to understand, if you're going to follow me, that means you're going where I go. Understand, foxes have holes. Birds have nests. The Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. You're going to follow me? We might be sleeping out in the wilderness sometimes. We're not going to have a place that's comfortable. It's going to be difficult. This is Jesus' way of saying to this man, following me will not mean comfort and ease and wealth. Following Jesus may mean giving up financial gain. Others of you may not have to do that. But all of us are called to fix our eyes on Jesus. A willingness to give all. A willingness to forsake it. A willingness to use it for God's glory. A willingness to give radically so that we do not hold on to the things of this world so tightly. Don't we do that? Yes. The answer for all of us, we do. What if Jesus called us to give up our smartphone? What if Jesus called us to give up our car to help someone? What if Jesus called us to sell it all and move somewhere else in service to Him? How many of us for us, that would be an immediate, nah. <laughs> Jesus would never ask me to do that. Don't be silly. Why not? Why do you think he hasn't? Those of us living in comfort, in ease, and in wealth, have we tried to continue that life at the expense of following Jesus? See, what happens here is, with, with a laser beam-like intensity, Jesus pinpoints the problem in this man's life. Self-denial was the problem for him. I'll follow you wherever you go, and Jesus says, I don't think you will. You see, this guy viewed, Jesus, viewed following Jesus in terms of what he could gain rather than receiving forgiveness of sin. He wanted to be in on the benefits of following Jesus, but not the sacrifices of following Jesus. Let me, let me ask us a very pointed question. I ask this of all of us. This is not just for you. This is for me as well. Does the way that we use what we have indicate that we are a disciple who has truly counted the cost of following Jesus? Ask it again. Does the way that we use what we have indicate, does it show that we are a disciple who has truly counted the cost of following Jesus? Think, think about your time. We become so hoardish with our time. I'm going to do what I want to do or what I like to do. But if there's a matter of inconvenience in serving Christ and serving others, I may or may not do that. Do we do that? Sure. 
be honest, we do it with Sunday morning worship. We do it with gathering for the Lord's Day. This can be optional. Why? Think of it in the arena of our giving. In the arena of our giving, is that an indication of spiritual sloth for us? Do we seek to maintain our comfort at the expense of following Jesus in an extravagant way? You know how much I pay every month to be entertained in my home? Probably about as much as you all do. We've got cable, we've got satellite. Got to have this, got to have that. I just wonder how tied to this world I get and what it's really going to take to untie me from this world. For the true disciple of Christ, there is, there is a sense in our lives that we realize this is not our home. And so it's easy to hold loosely to these things because this isn't our home. Let's move to the second guy quickly. We see here the cost of following Jesus at the expense of earthly commitments. This is by far the harshest statement of Jesus in all of this, I think. Verse 59, now Jesus takes the initiative. He says to someone, follow me. But this guy said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, what a statement. Leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Seems rude, doesn't it? It seems, it seems brash. Let me remind you again that Jesus sees the heart and motivation behind what we cannot see here he knows what's really going on in this man's heart and what this excuse means. Let me remind you as well that to the truly penitent, Jesus always accepts and receives them. You see this, this woman caught in adultery. Jesus reaches in grace to this penitent woman. You, you see this woman that he meets at the well in John chapter 4. Jesus always receives those who come in repentance. But to those with divided hearts, it's another story. You may remember another encounter that Jesus had. When, when we get on further into Luke's gospel, into Luke 18, we'll discover this. There's a rich young man that comes to Jesus, and he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, well, you've got to keep the commandments. You've got to do all of this stuff. Jesus knew there was a heart problem. The issue was this man's heart. This man could not admit that he was a sinner in need of a Savior. And so Jesus pierces right through it to get him to understand where he is spiritually. And the man in arrogance and pride says, Oh, I've done all of that. No, you haven't. Admit your sinfulness and how much you need a Savior. And then Jesus looks at him knowing his heart. And he says, Well, there's one thing that you lack. Sell all that you have and give it to the poor. And what happened to that man? The attorney walked away. The Bible tells us that he turned and walked away because he had much. He was unwilling to let go of it in order to have Christ. Do you understand today that there is no cost that is worth not trusting Jesus? Nothing. If every ounce of wealth in this world was offered to you, it is not worth not trusting Christ. It's not worth it. Does Jesus tell everyone to sell all that they have and give to the poor? No. In fact, Zacchaeus gets saved. You can read about that in John's Gospel as well. Zacchaeus gets saved, and Zacchaeus gives half of it away. See, the goal is not to lay down a rule, how much should you give away? The goal is to say, where is your heart? How important, how significant is Jesus to you? See, when you go back and look at this, he, 
He says, well, first let me go and bury my father. See, my first question to ask this guy is this. If your father has just died, why are you on the road with this group of people in the first place? Because see, the Jewish law was very clear. The, the Jewish custom dictated that burial would take place immediately with death. When someone died, they were taken to be buried. They didn't embalm and do all of that stuff uh, in, in that culture and that time. They didn't do that. So it was needed to go ahead and get that body buried. I think what's happening here is that this man's father wasn't dead. Not yet, anyway. He comes along to Jesus and he says, let me first go and bury my father. In other words, Jesus, i tell you what I'll do. I'm going to go back home and when dad dies and I get my inheritance, I'm going to come back and I'm going to follow you, but just hold on a little while. Just, just wait. Not, not right now, Jesus. Not right now. I'm not going to follow you right now. Let me get this in order and then I will. And some of you are doing that this morning. Some of you have been confronted with the claims of Christ and you know that you need to give yourself to Jesus, but for some reason you're saying, not now, not yet, not at this moment, maybe later. This man wanted to delay following Jesus until a later point. Because after all, if he moves away from dad and dad is still alive, dad might get mad and take me out of the will. I don't want that to happen. He missed the urgency of the call of Jesus. Following Christ is such an urgent matter that even the most intimate family responsibilities must be given second place over allegiance to Jesus. Some of us have made idols out of our family. We have. Think, I think of my own children growing up and what the Lord has planned for them. And, and I wonder, Lord, will you have them on the mission field? Lord, will you have them? Uh, uh, what will you have for them in some way? How will you have them serving you? And I think, what if, what if God calls my children away? Can I bear that? What if God calls me and Leanne away from our children? See, we, we've made an idol out of our families so often. Our families cannot take place over Christ in our lives. When I was in seminary, there was an Egyptian young man by the name of Timothy Abraham. Timothy was raised as a Muslim. He came to faith in Christ, and immediately his own family took out a death warrant on him. He shamed the family. He was to be put to death. Through some connections, he literally, he was able to get out of Egypt, but with the clothes on his back, and that's it. That's all. Met him in seminary, training and preparing, knowing the gospel so that he could go back and share the gospel with his people. But he wanted to know Christ. He lost his family. He didn't just lose them. He became their enemy. They wanted him dead. Jesus says there's an urgency in this. There's an urgency to the call of Christ and to the work of the gospel. Just, just last night I had the conversation. When, when you compare life to eternity, it's that. We think 70, 80, 90 years is a long time. You compare that to eternity, it's nothing. And yet all we do is to invest for this 70, 80, 90 years this side of eternity. We miss the rest of it. There's an urgency in the call. Today is the day of salvation, we're told in Scripture. 
There's an urgency in it to not delay. Your soul is at stake. The souls of others are at stake. If you're a disciple of Jesus, life is filled with an intense urgency. We see the third guy here. Look at him quickly in verse 60. Excuse me, verse 61. Yet another said, I, I, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Again, isn't this harsh? Why? Why would Jesus tell this man to not even go tell his parents bye? Again, remember, Jesus looks with pinpoint accuracy into these hearts. Jesus knows this man's family ties were too strong for him to break away from them. If he returned back home, the impulse of the moment would die and he would never be able to leave. He would be confronted with his mama crying, please, please don't go, no, don't leave me. He'd be confronted with daddy's disappointment. Sure could use you around here, son. Why don't, why don't, you, why don't you just stick around here and do something? Why do you have to go off and do that? Why do you have to get so crazy about this? Why do you have to get so radical about this? It's Jesus' way of saying, I'm more important. You've got to get this. I'm God in the flesh. I'm the Messiah. I'm the Savior. I'm more important than any of this other stuff. And I want you to understand as we look at this, Jesus in this is not talking so much about our giving up sin. We know we will have to do that. We know we have to turn our back on our sinfulness. He's talking about giving up things, things that in and of themselves are not wrong. They may be wonderful, they may be fine, they may be right, but which we must be willing to let go of for the sake of following Christ. This is a radical concept. But I'm becoming more and more convinced that if we saw a normal Christian according to the New Testament standards, it would look radical to us. We'd be like, what, what is that? It's a follower of Christ. It's how far we've gotten from the biblical idea of discipleship and what it means to follow Jesus and Jesus says when you link up with me you cannot look back stop looking back to that sin that you've let go of stop looking back to that which you've released look forward with Jesus moving ahead into glory can you imagine what the field would look like see back then they they did it the hard way some of you I'm sure are accustomed to that with that little hand plow and you got the, the ox or some other animal attached to it, and you're going through the field, and you got to keep your eyes straight ahead or you're going to get off. And if you're looking back to see what it looks like, you do this, and there goes that plow. You know, we were taught the very same thing in riding a motorcycle. When I got my motorcycle license, they told us, you look where you want to go, and don't you look anywhere else. Makes sense. As you turn your head on a motorcycle, your body goes with it, and here you go. Look ahead. Look forward. It is complete dedication to the task at hand. Friends, it is impossible to follow Christ with a divided heart. Genuine Christian discipleship leaves no room for excuse no room for compromise, no room for half-heartedness. That's why Jesus lays it down so clearly. He says, listen, if you're going to follow me, this is what it's going to require. You may lose the comforts of this life. God may call you somewhere that you never thought you would end up being. Why is it an automatic no? Because you're not willing to follow Jesus. You'd rather follow your own comfort. You'd rather follow your own whims, your own desires. Following Christ may cost you family. 
It may cost you friends. Is Jesus more important to you than any of that? See, Jesus is real clear. Count the cost. Count the cost. But I'm telling you, come at all costs. Because Jesus is worth it. Remember that story of the rich young ruler that I told you about who came to Jesus and Jesus said, go sell all that you have. Listen to the end of the story here. Luke chapter 18, verse 29. Jesus said to those around him, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife, or brothers, or parents, or children, for the sake of the kingdom of God, who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. See what Jesus is saying? What you gain in Jesus is far greater than what you give up in this world. What's interesting to me here in Luke chapter 9, it is not recorded for us the response of any of these individuals. We don't know what any of them said. We don't know if maybe one of them said, okay, Jesus, you're right. And I'm glad. The reason I'm glad is because you get to put yourself in these scenarios. What would your response be? Better yet, what is your response to the call of Jesus? To deny self, to hold loosely to the things of this world. To say, Jesus, you're more important to me than even my own family. To say, Jesus, I'm going to look to you no matter what. What would your response be? What will you say to Jesus in this? When he comes and he, he gives demands, they're different. See, that's the great thing about Jesus. He, he looks at all of these, these men, each one of them, and he knows exactly where to hit them. He knows exactly what idol is present in their life. Just like he knows what idol is present in your life. And I dare say that Jesus is looking into your heart at this moment and he's saying, are you willing to give up that? Lay that aside in order to follow me. What's your response to Jesus and the demands of discipleship that he lays upon us. Father, this morning, we, uh, we step into uh, a seriousness of topic. Dare not make light of it. Because the demands are so high. Forgive us where we have tried to make them more palatable and easier to swallow instead of being up front and saying, follow Christ? Everything's on the table. Father, I pray for souls today. Souls that are lost. Some that have given excuses for years, attempted to delay. And I pray, Father, please, would you break into those hearts. Bring them to yourself. Bring us to yourself. Make us disciples, Father. Strengthen us to follow you where you've called us 
and empowered us to do so. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to invite you to stand this morning as we stand, we sing, and there's a response of some nature you need to make. We invite you to come. If you'd like to know what it means to be a follower of Christ and you'd like to have a deeper conversation about that, love to begin that today. Talk about what it means to be a member of this church family. Love to begin that conversation with you. However the Lord has spoken into your heart through His Word today, if you need to come, you come this morning.